Back to Basics, a complete Back to Basic program recorded live during the Back to Basic study by Tim B. Thanks, guys. Tim, alcoholic. Hey, Tim. All right. Step nine. This is the place. Um, we will be using the 12 and 12. So I do see a couple of them around the room. Of course, you can do them off your phone. AA World Services, AA.org. You could just read it. Step nine we're going to be doing. Uh, we're in the big book, page 76. We're in the big book, page 76. We are going to be starting in the third paragraph, middle of the paragraph, where it says, now we go out. That's where we're going to be for step nine. Our read is a little long tonight because we're also going to be reading from the 12 and 12, step nine, which starts on page 83 and goes through page 87. So we're going to do those two readings tonight. It's one of those steps that requires that much verbiage, right? Okay, here we go. Page 76 in the big book, third paragraph, middle of the paragraph. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. Again. <clears throat> now we go out to our yeah. fellows and repair the damage done in the past. So how do we repair the damage from the past? We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will. Oh boy, there's self-will again. Selfish, self-centered remains the root cause of our troubles and run the show ourselves. Now, we're going to come back to this when we later on ask if you're willing to do step nine or no, you're going to leave this room and you're going to do your ninth step. This is the, we're going to turn this statement into a question. This is step nine. But let's read more about it first. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So that means we pray about it. In other words, we've made our eighth step sheet. We took all the names off of our fourth step. We've gone down the, that second column that I developed. Anybody who wants the amend sheet, you see me at the end. We go right down the second column and we say, oh, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing. Oh, not to him. Well, we're going to pray, says it right here. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes, whether that means for an individual name or overall. I'm not making any of these amends, right? Because step eight is only about making the list. Everybody always jumps, well, I can't really talk to that guy. That's nine. In eight, we made the list. And if we have any reservations, we're going to pray on it. It just told us to do that. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning, and it's italicized now, we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident. Diffident means hesitant. We may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order. But this is not an end in itself. So what does that mean? Putting our lives in order is not primary. It's secondary. What's primary? Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. That's why we're doing this. 
to be of service to others. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to be branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. So there's a difference between talking about it and doing it. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. Again, action. It's not philosophy. It's not theology. It's action. <clears throat> and the demonstration of goodwill would be an amend and or an apology. And we're going to define the two in a moment. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. What does that mean? We don't hate them anymore. It's hated. It's past tense. By the time we're in the ninth step, we don't hate them anymore. If the feeling of hate comes up for that person that we worked on through our fourth step, we pray for the feeling of hate to be removed. But we don't genuinely hate them anymore. It's a feeling. Hated, past tense. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street. We hear that as a, as a, as a little catchphrase in the, in, the, in the rooms all the time, and that's where it's from. Realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we'll be gratified with the result. In nine cases of 10, meaning 90%, in nine cases of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his fault. So feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. In other words, you're thrown out of the office, but you went to make an amends and they don't want to talk to you anymore. You did your job already. Most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, <clears throat> whether we think so or not. 
nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. So here we go with the difference between an amend and apology. Arranging the best deal we can is an amend, assuming you'll follow through with it. So you've cut the deal with the guy, right? You owe 80 bucks, you're gonna pay 20 bucks a week for four weeks, there's the deal, right? So there's your amend, assuming you pay. <clears throat> so arranging the best deal we can, amend, we let these people know we are sorry, apology. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors, no matter how far we have to go. For we are liable, why? For we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. So if we allow self-centered fear, which is selfish, self-centered behavior, self-centered fear, if we allow that to dominate our behavior and not follow through with what must be done, we are liable to drink. Perhaps we have committed a criminal offense, which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. Although these reparations, root word, repair, so that's an amend. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding, reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. So clearing off our side of the street is the endeavor to have a spiritual experience. To do what with it? That's not the end, right? To do what with it? To serve others. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. So if you're looking for a ninth step prayer, there it is right there. From right after spiritual experience, from that comma, you can do, we ask that we be given. You can turn that into a, uh, a statement as uh, you're talking to your higher power. Uh, higher power, please give me the strength and direction to do the right thing no matter what the personal consequences may be. That's a prayer. That's a ninth step prayer. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. Notice it didn't say that we throw ourselves in front of the speeding train. We must be willing to do it. Does not necessarily mean that we actually go through with doing the amend. And there's some criteria that the rest of the chapter is gonna talk about. And I think one of the overall guiding things that I would do is, is to make sure it's not gonna hurt somebody else. And, um, and I would probably talk to a lot of people about it sponsor, sober network, psychologist, you know, rabbi. I, I'd go through the whole, if it's a big deal, and there's a line in here I'm gonna highlight in a few minutes, if it's a big deal, go slowly. 
We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary. But if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. So that would be the starting of the amends, writing the letter, admitting his faults would be starting to make an amends. And then in the letter, he asks for forgiveness. That's the apology. But now he doesn't just stop there. He did and also sent a small amount of money. He's continuing the amends. He sent money, but he's not done yet. He told her what he would try to do in the future. That's taking the uh, 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 bull by the horns, right? So assuming he continues to pay and through the future, he made his amends. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not. And the whole situation has long since been adjusted. I also use that little paragraph as an example that sometimes a letter, the big book says it, sometimes a letter is appropriate. <clears throat> Page 80. This is the thing I highlighted before. You have to be careful before you make an amends, if it's a big gig, right? Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. So I believe that is one of the key uh, guiding principles here of um, making an amends. So this next uh, story is not an AA story. It's actually an Oxford Group story, which is pre-AA. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. 
His action met widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done and, God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found this the best course to take. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. We can, excuse me, if we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face -face combat. So meaning indirect dealing with it rather than direct dealing with it. If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good. That's an amend. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patient mothers and wives have had, excuse me, passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. 
hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Uh-oh. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. Same as sel saying selfishness, self-centeredness is the root cause of a problem. Sa saying the same exact thing. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. So reconstruction means there was destruction, which means Amending destruction. Reconstruction is amending destruction. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. So in prayer, we're asking for assets that are actually part of the amends that we give back to the family. If we are practicing patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love, we are actually doing amends. The spiritual life is not a theory, italicized. We have to leave it. People that love to count musts, there's a must. We have to leave it, live it, excuse me. We have to leave it. <laughs> Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. There's another example of a letter sometimes being apropos. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble, humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. So in many meetings, we all hear the ninth step promises. It's always from a page 83, 84. Here they are. If we are painstaking, and there's 12 of them. You, on your own, you find the 12. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Halfway through with what? Step nine. Not halfway through the steps, meaning six. Halfway through step nine. In other words, we've made a bunch of amends already. We are going to know, so what, 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 what's going to happen when we're halfway through? We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. 
No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. That's a psychic change, right? That's a complete 180. <clears throat> Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We'll, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. We're going to stop there tonight for the big book. We're switching over to the 12 and 12. <clears throat> we are on page 83. There's a uh, 12 and there's a there's a. There's a uh, there's a, just look on with somebody else and again you can on your phone but you might you might be uh, you might not uh, have gotten to it okay step nine page eighty three may direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others this is constantly met read incorrectly in meetings when people read the shade right. They read it as made direct amends to such people whenever possible. That's a measurement of time. Wherever possible means, the definition there means, in each and every case. It's, it's, it's a place. You're pointing to an event. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage, and prudence. These are the qualities we shall need when we take step nine. We have made the list of people we have harmed, have reflected carefully upon each instance, and have tried to possess ourselves of the right attitude in which to proceed. We will see that making of direct amends divides those we should approach into several classes. There's four of them. Let's see what they are. There will be those who ought to be dealt with just as soon as we become reasonably confident that we can maintain our sobriety. So when does that mean? Immediately, like fast, like Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Wednesday. There will be those to whom we can make only partial restitution, lest complete disclosure do, excuse me, lest complete disclosures do them or others more harm than good. So that's a second category, the category of partial restitution. There will be other cases where action ought to be deferred. That's uh, three, class three. And then, and still others in which by the very nature of the situation, we shall never be able to make direct personal contact at all. Most of us begin making certain kinds of direct amends from the day we join Alcoholics Anonymous. The moment we tell our families that, our, that we are really going to try the program, the process has begun. So that's kind of a living amends. I would call that a living amends. That's a great example, I think. In this area, there are seldom any questions of timing or caution. We want to come in the door shouting the good news 
after coming from our first meeting, or perhaps after we have finished reading the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, we usually want to sit down with some member of the family and readily admit the damage we have done by our drinking. Almost always, we want to go further and admit other defects that have made us hard to live with. This will be a very different occasion. And in sharp contrast with those hangover mornings when we alternated between reviling ourselves and blaming the family and everybody and everyone else for our troubles. After this first sitting, so again, this is another example that amends can take the form of multiple meetings. You don't have to nail it all in one shot. Um, I don't know where the hell I am. At this first seating, it is necessary only that we make a general admission of our defects. It may be unwise at this stage to rehash certain harrowing ep episodes. Good judgment will suggest that we ought to take our time. While we may be quite willing to reveal the very worst, we must be sure to remember that we cannot buy our own peace of mind at the expense of others. Much the same approach will apply at the office or factory. We shall at once think of a few people who know all about our drinking and who have been most affected by it. But even in these cases, we may need to use a little more discretion than we did with the family. We may not want to say anything for several weeks or longer. First, we will wish to be reasonably certain that we are on the AA beam. Then we are ready to go to these people to tell them what AA is and what we are trying to do. Against this backdrop, we can freely admit the damage we have done and make our apologies. We can pay or promise to pay whatever obligations, financial or otherwise, we owe. The generous response of most people to such quiet sincerity will often astonish us. Even our severest and most justified critics will frequently meet us more than halfway on the first trial. This atmosphere of approval and praise is apt to be so exhilarating as to put us off balance by creating an insatiable appetite for more of the same, right? Our disease is that of more, right? More ice cream, more, you know, this great feeling that I, I'm making amends to the whole world. I want more. Well, here's the, here's the, uh, here's the caution. Or we may be tipped over in the other direction when, in rare cases, we get a cool and skeptical reception. This will tempt us to argue or to press our point incessantly, or maybe it will tempt us to discouragement and pessimism. But if we have prepared ourselves well in advance, such reactions, good or bad, right? Such reactions will not deflect us from our steady and even purpose. After taking these, this preliminary trial at making amends, we may enjoy such a sense of relief that we conclude our task is finished. We will want to rest on our laurels. The temptation to skip the more humiliating and dreaded meetings that still remain may be great. We will often manufacture plausible excuses for dodging these issues entirely, or we may just procrastinate, telling ourselves the time is not yet, when in reality we have already passed up many a fine chance to right a serious wrong. Let's not talk prudence 
while practicing evasion. As soon as we begin to feel confident in our new way of life and have begun by our behavior and example to convince those about us that we are indeed changing for the better, it is usually safe to talk in complete frankness with those have, who have been seriously affected, even those who may be only a little or not at all aware of what we have done to them. The only exceptions we will make will be cases where our disclosure would cause actual harm. These conversations can begin in a casual or natural way, but if no such opportunity presents itself, at some point we will want to summon all our courage, head straight to the person concerned, and lay our cards on the table. We needn't wallow in excessive remorse before those we have harmed, but amends at this level should always be forthright and generous. There can only be one consideration which should qualify our desire for a complete disclosure of the damage we have done. That will arise in the occasional situation where to make a full revelation would seriously harm the one to whom we are making amends or quite as important other people. We cannot, for example, unload a detailed account of extramarital adventuring upon the shoulders of an unsuspecting wife or husband. And even in those cases where such a matter must be discussed, let's try to avoid harming third parties, whoever they may be. It does not lighten our burden when we recklessly make the crosses of others heavier. Many a razor-edged question can arise in other departments of our life where this same principle is involved. Suppose, for an instance, that we have drunk up a good chunk of our firm's money, whether by borrowing or on a heavily padded expense account. Suppose that this may continue to go undetected if we say nothing. Do we instantly confess our irregularities to the firm in the practical certainty that we will be fired and become unemployable? Are we going to be so rigidly righteous about making amends that we don't care what happens to the family and home? Or do we first consult with those who are to be gravely affected? Do we lay the matter before our sponsor or spiritual advisor, earnestly asking God's help and guidance, meanwhile resolving to do the right thing when it becomes clear, cost what it may? Of course, there is no pat answer which can fit all these dilemmas, but all of them do require a complete willingness to make amends as fast and as far as may be possible in a given set of circumstances, excuse me, in a given set of conditions. Above all, we should try to be absolutely sure that we are not delaying because we are afraid. Fear is a bad thing. For the readiness to take the full consequences of our past acts and to take responsibility for the well-being of others at the same time is the very spirit of step nine. All right, we're going to take step nine now as far as uh, asking the key question. And obviously you would, uh, if you're, if you go out and make amends, you are, uh, you're already taking them, but um, 
after I've gone through with the sponsee uh, this uh, text, I would ask the question on page 76. Thank you, Lori. Uh, I'd ask the question on page 76, third paragraph, eight lines down. Where it says, we attempt, and I'd merely change this into a question and just say something like this. The wording's really somewhat irrelevant, right? Will you attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of your effort to live on self-will and run the show yourselves? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> One person took step nine. I'm just teasing. Right. And the second question then would be, uh, or the, the, the uh, declarative statement would be, and if you haven't the will to do this, to ask until it comes. So that means pray about it. So congratulations, you took step nine.